Two weeks ago yesterday, my, uh, my daughter lives in Jackson, Wyoming, and two weeks ago yesterday, she uh, was at the top of a, incredible, a very steep part of the Snow King Mountain, lost a ski, had an uncontrolled slide, um, just the most bizarre accident, and hit a tree at full speed. Um, it, took them about, it took them an hour to get her off the mountain. Um, she broke six ribs, she lost her spleen, she lost most of one kidney function. Um, she was in ICU for about five days and got out of the hospital on Wednesday. And so I have been taking care of her um, with you know, great joy. <laughs> Here's, here's, here's the, 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 straight, the funny part, or the weird part is, I've been, like somehow you get this emotional adrenaline that kicks in. And, and I, I've, been, I've been fine. I mean, I haven't been trying not to be emotional or anything like that, I, but I've been, like I've just been fine. I, I've loved negotiating with doctors and advocating for her and, and piecing together the miracles. My daughter is a nurse at that particular hospital and all the little pieces that came together that saved her life, the trauma surgeon she had, um, being with her in her pain. She navigates coming you know, through some very horrible, horrible nights and all of that, um, uh, taking care of my little precious granddaughter. And, and then driving home Friday, takes me about eight hours to get back. All of a sudden, the weight of all of that just, all, I just felt it. And, um, and then I'm thinking the irony of, of how I've been wanting and planning to come and, and share the good news with you. And I'm not in such a good mood for that. Um, <laughs> and then I thought, I've probably never been more qualified to talk about the good news. Like, three weeks ago, I, I could talk about it and probably and be in a lot better mood and, and a little more cheery about it, but, but there, there is something about life and, and all of the complexity of it set against what for me is the simplicity of the good news, the gospel, that makes me grateful to be here. So I want you to know I am really, really grateful that I get to be with you and a little pissed at the same time. So, <laughs> so that's just my, I told you, I, that's just life. You're just this little weird hot mess and that's how it works. And so I am wanting to talk about this word or this idea of the gospel. When I say that word, by the way, um, I wonder, what do you, what comes to mind? What other word or, or little phrase comes to mind when you hear the word gospel? So what? Good news. So actually, good news is sort of the literal translation of Greek, would be good news. Good news. What else? What other words come to mind? Good 
Fruit? Oh, truth. Yeah, truth. We use it, yeah, the gospel truth. We use it in that way. The first four books of the New Testament are called the gospel. It is, it's, it's interesting because the word gospel has now become one of those words that is really just our word. By ours, I mean Christians. We're the only ones that really use it. And it is a bit of a code word. So we say gospel, but we think we're communicating, but you may have a slightly different sort of image in your mind than I have in my mind. But this word, which is not, we took it, actually, we borrowed it as Christians. It wasn't our word. It was already out in the, in the greater existence. Sometimes, like the, the Caesar, a king could use it as a way. He would, he would make his gospel, his proclamation, his good news, that he was in charge now. But this gospel... This good news is the foundation, I think, of everything. I think it's all good news. I'm not saying it's all easy to read. I'm not saying every piece of the Bible is automatically understandable. But I think with enough time and, and investigation, I think it's all good news. We're going to look at one of the letters that Paul wrote early in his ministry. And it is, quite honestly, a defense of this idea of the gospel is always good news. He, he, he describes sort of the benefit of it in Galatians 5 when he said, So Jesus, so Christ, has truly set us free. Make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again in slavery to the rules, to the law. But something's going on in this letter where this idea of the gospel, this good news, that's always good news, is in jeopardy. And I want to read for you. And I want you to sort of feel the intensity that he's feeling. It feels to me like everything hinges. The, the future of our faith is dependent that we understand this good news. And this is what he says. I'm shocked that you're turning away so soon from God who called you to himself through the loving mercy of Christ. You're following a different way that pretends to be the gospel, the good news, but it's not the gospel, it's not the good news at all. You're being fooled by those who deliberately twist the truth concerning Christ. And let God's curse fall on anyone, including us, or even an angel from heaven, who preaches a different kind of good news than the one we preach to you. I say again, what we've said before, if anyone preaches any other good news than the one you welcomed, let that person be cursed. And obviously, I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If I were 
pleasing people. And that were my goal. I would not be Christ's servant. It was for freedom that Christ set us free, so stand firm. That's what the gospel does. In this last couple of weeks, I was taking care of, of Frankie. Frankie's my, my two-and-a-half-year-old granddaughter. And, um, and it's, it's, been, you know, it's, it's been a tough couple of weeks, and she was, you know how kids are. You know, we, we were careful what we talked about in her presence, and, and she got to go see Mommy, but she knew Mommy had an owie, and, and she was doing great, but and she, couldn't, she couldn't articulate it, but her world was just completely discombobulated. And, and so I, I needed to do something, so I had this brilliant idea. I, I, I said, hey, hey, baby, how about if Poppy takes you to the dollar store? And you can pick three things. Now, I was willing to go to five, but I, you know, I just entered the negotiations at three. And, um, and she was all excited, and so and I said, baby, you can, you can pick anything you want, just anything. And I don't know if you've ever been to the dollar store with a two-and-a-half-year-old. <laughs> the, the story will reveal that I'm not suggesting that. Um, because you see, there is nothing but joy going into the dollar store. There, there is nothing but, but excitement and happiness and love with the idea that I can pick anything I want. And the dollar store is amazing, it's huge, and it's, it's filled with all, it's filled with everything that you cannot believe is only a dollar. And, and, and Frankie is literally running the aisles, and, and she's running down the hardware aisle, grabbing things, and, and, and I, I, I don't care what she picks, and, and, and is that what you want? And, and no, so she throws that down, and she just keeps running, and, and we're up and down and up, and we're there for an hour, an hour. And here, here is my reality. There is, there is nothing but joy when you go into a dollar store with a two-and-a-half-year-old. And there is no way to get one out of there without tears and screaming and kicking. I didn't, I, I didn't know what to do. Eventually, I'm just grabbing her, and, I, baby, we got to pick something. They're going to turn the lights out on us, and... A bad gospel sounds, sounds good. It sounds right. But you will get trapped. And it's really hard to get out of a bad gospel. And not to be too melodramatic, a bad gospel ends with tears and screaming and, and kicking. There are some, there's sort of some signs in this letter. We're going to just kind of wander around it, this letter called Galatians, that'll let you know if you've gotten stuck in a, in a, bad, um, in a bad gospel. One, one thing you, you kind of got to know that's going on and is in some ways at the, the root of, of this bad gospel, is the, uh, the idea that Jesus is almost all you need. A bad gospel would tell you that in order 
to experience who you are as a created and loved being of God. Jesus is almost all you need. What had happened was that this good news had, had come 2,000 years ago in a very specific and revealed way in the person of, of Jesus, who is God on, on earth. And, and I don't know if you know all the story, but I'll give you a couple of the big characters. We've been throwing his name around. His name's Paul. And, and we see Paul as, as um, sort of, in some ways, the, the foundation of the one to explain to us what it meant to be a follower of Jesus. He wrote most of what we call the New Testament. But maybe you don't know, but you see his story didn't begin that way. His story began as he was a zealot Jew. And he was so committed to the rules and to the law and, and memorized it all. And he hated Christians. He hated Christians so much that he was murdering them. And then one day, on the Damascus Road, he met Jesus. And in this marvelous miracle where he saw the light, literally saw the light, and the, literally the scales fell off, and all of a sudden it all made sense, and he understood how it all pieced together, and that it was all about Jesus, and not about the rules. And that became the gospel. It's all about Jesus. And people began to believe Jesus. And then there was this group that said, yes. Yes, Jesus is almost all you need. You need Jesus and you need to keep the law, the Jewish law. So you can Jesus and the law. And, and, the, and one of the sort of the primary ways in which that was exhibited or was expressed was in circumcision. So it's like, it's Jesus, and you're an inch away from making it. A little minor corrective surgery, and you're good to go. Jesus, and being circumcised, will make you right with God. It doesn't sound like that big a deal. Well. Maybe I, that's not accurate, probably. <laughs> but it's just that idea of just adding a little bit. Here's where it's a little difficult. We don't live in a world today where, where circumcision is of any big issue. But we have our own Jesus and. And most often it is Jesus and. Something to do with try a little harder. Jesus, in just a little bit more effort, and you're going to be just fine with God. That, that's sort of the foundation of this, this trap, but there's other little tentacles to it. One, one way you'll know, so that's sort of the history of it, but here's some ways, some clues you'll know. One is, the addiction to approval. Let me show you what I mean. So one, we get a little clue at the end of what I just read where 
Paul says, hey, if I were trying to please people, I wouldn't be preaching the gospel. But now we have this other character in the early part of the Christian story, this guy named Peter. Now you may recognize his name. Peter was one of Jesus, if not Jesus' best friend. Peter was, 2,000 years ago, at the moment that when this is being written, he was looked to as the bishop of the church. He was the sort of the top guy. He was the most respected. Paul is brand new, relatively speaking. Paul is not as well known. Paul is not one of Jesus' best friends. But here's what's going on with Peter. Peter, it says, has bought into this idea that it is Jesus and a little extra. And he's done it because he wants to be liked. But when Peter came to Antioch, I had to oppose him to his face, this is Paul speaking, for what he did was very wrong. When he first arrived, he ate with the Gentile Christians who were not circumcised. But afterward, when some friends of James came, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. And listen to this sentence. He was afraid of criticism from those who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. And so, when I saw Peter, Paul speaking again, when I saw they were not following the truth of the good news, the gospel message, I said to Peter in front of all the others, since you were a Jew by birth and have discarded the Jewish laws and are living like a Gentile, why are you now trying to make these Gentiles follow the Jewish traditions? Why, Peter, are you living like a hypocrite? And Peter, if he had had the presence of mind and the courage to say it, he would have said, because I love approval. I like when everybody likes me. I like saying what everybody else is saying. I like fitting in. Little side note. One of the ways you'll know that the gospel is in, perhaps in danger in your community is when you notice everybody has to say, think, and look the same. When we confuse uniformity for unity. Uniformity is always the enemy of unity. You can't have unity if you have uniformity. The thing that Jesus said would declare to people, to his world that he created, that we are uniquely his, is that we would have what? Love for one another, right? And so the outside world looks in and goes, wow, look at all those white, middle-class, educated people hanging out together. That's amazing. How did that ever happen? Who's ever seen that? Who's ever seen people huddle together in homogeneous groups and somehow make it? Oh my gosh, that's miraculous. But the gospel, but the gospel which sets us free, and we're gonna learn a little more about this in just a minute, is this crazy group of people who do not belong together. And the world looks in and goes, that is amazing. Why is it hard to live in unity? Because not everybody looks, thinks, and acts like me. 
and I like approval. One of the ways you know you may be trapped is when you feel inside of you that dilemma of not being accepted. Another is um, it's what I call a, a stepchild theology. Let me be careful here. I, I would assume some of you are step-parents. I am not in any way disparaging all step-parents. I'm only disparaging my step-parents. You may be fantastic at it. Mine sucked. And I'm saying that as gracefully as I can. They were just bad at being step-parents. In particular, was my, um, was my stepdad. And I am sympathetic. I know his story now, and, and he's gone on to heaven, but I, 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 I'm sympathetic. So I'm, I'm not as critical as the story is going to sound. And, and the story of my parents is crazy to begin with. My, my mom was born, raised, and lived her whole life in Sweden. My dad is from Alabama. They met in Stockholm. How they got attracted to each other is a mystery of the universe. And how my mother agreed to move from Stockholm, having never been to America, and lands in Birmingham, Alabama in 1958, is, a, is no way to start a marriage. And so that one didn't have much of a chance. So they divorced, but now my mom is stuck because she's now had a couple of kids. She is here in a foreign country. And so she, six years later, I would, or three years later, I, they divorced when I was three, remarried when I was six. They remarried the same weekend. Not to each other, obviously. Uh, weird stories because they were always trying to get at each other over the years, my mom and my dad. And, and that was part of this story. And, and part of this being a stepchild in the middle. And, and so my stepdad was 41, had never been married, never had kids, didn't know about raising kids, and he was pretty abusive. Um, and, and one of the things that happened, we moved from Alabama to Colorado. We lived in Arvada. We had a very middle-class life. My stepdad was an architect. My mom usually didn't work outside the house. Excuse me, but my mom was always irritated with my dad in Alabama that he didn't send enough child support. That was the constant battle for the 18 years that I was at home or for the 15 where they were divorced. That was the constant battle. Dad doesn't send enough money, mom's irritated, and she's trying to sort of coerce him. And so they came up with this idea that my stepdad and my half-brother and my mom, my, half, my mom and stepdad had a child together, they came up with this idea that, that they would have a slightly different lifestyle and experience than my brother and I, who were biologically my fathers who lived in Alabama. So like, in, for instance, in our refrigerator, there was, there was a section that was for them that included like real butter and milk and jam. And then on my brother's side and my side, we could have margarine and powdered milk. They could do things that we couldn't do. And the reason was, was because I was a stepchild. Now, my stepmother and my step 
dad would say that they loved me. But I knew that it wasn't like their kid. There's this beautiful piece in this book that talks about the real gospel versus the fake gospel. Let me read it for you. It's in Galatians 4. But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. Let me pause just for a second. This is one of those rare cases where I am no scholar, but I'm going to take a little bit of issue with some of the translation here. And I understand it. So the translation here, children, is in deference to trying to create in the, in the scripture a, a, a more um, inclusive and egalitarian language. I understand that. There are often parts of the older translations of the Bible that are very patriarchal and are not inclusive, and it wasn't the intention of the author. It's like when we used to say mankind, but what we really meant was humanity. And we've learned now that that's very dismissive to women. We didn't, nobody intended it to be that way, but you look back and go, oh, that's kind of the result of that. There's a lot of that in the older translations of the scripture. So to fix that, there'll be lots of places in the Bible where instead of man, and it was written in a patriarchal culture, you could very easily translate humanity or us or those kinds of words. However, this is not one of them. This needs to be translated son, firstborn son. Because what he isn't saying is that we are kind of like what my stepdad would say, hey, I love all you kids the same, sort of wink, wink. What he's saying is, I love you like my firstborn son. 2,000 years ago, if you were a woman born into a family where you had a brother, tough luck for you. That's just the reality. Your brother, the firstborn male, is going to get it all. He's going to get the full inheritance, or the vast majority of the inheritance. He is going to be the landowner. If land is passed down, almost all of it is going to go to the firstborn son. You may be daddy's favorite little girl. It doesn't matter. That is just the way the rules worked. So listen to this. So that he could adopt us as his very own firstborn son. And because we are his firstborn son, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Daddy, Abba, Father. And now you're no longer a slave, but you are God's favorite kid. My translation doesn't actually say that. But that's what it means. But now you are God's Firstborn son, you are his favorite child. 
And since you are his favorite kid, God has made you an heir. A, a bad gospel will lead you to believe that you are somehow not quite the child of God that somebody else is. I know my childhood experience has influenced my theology. I've heard myself literally say to people, I know God loves me because that's like his job description. He has to do that. They would kick him out of being God if he said he didn't. But I feel like I'm one of his stepchildren. And have you ever sort of looked around? Have you ever thought, I, I sure do think God likes them better than me. That's part of the trap of a bad gospel. A bad gospel will create better thans, different thans. I love, and it is revolutionary when these words were written. This is revolutionary in a way that we cannot understand it. But when he says these words a little bit earlier, and you have all been united with Christ, in baptism and have put on the clothes, the character of Christ. And there is no longer, there's no such thing as a Jew or a Gentile, a slave or a free, a male or a female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. That was revolutionary. Nobody had ever heard of such a thing. But that's what the real gospel does for us. There's one more. There's tons more. There's one more I'll talk about. And that is, you'll know you're trapped or stuck if you notice that you're sort of rules obsessed. I was, um, I was at the airport about three years ago, two years ago, I can't remember. I was coming back from a weekend conference my friend Kathy and I had gone to. Kathy and I co-pastor the, the refuge together, and we were um, helping at, some, at, this, at this conference. And, and okay, I'll just, so I'll just, I'll just be totally honest. It, it, it was fine, but it wasn't my, I was kind of bored, and I was kind of irritated I had gone, and I was just in a bad mood. And it was early, so I'm flying home really, first flight Sunday morning, Chicago airport, I'm just trying to tell you, you know, my mood, which, which wasn't great, all right? And, and it's that first flight, and so the, the security line is just, is packed, all right? So here, let me, I got to demonstrate this for you. Um, so I'm in, you're familiar with the security line, and, and, we've, you, you, and you know how they work. There's the, the little bands, and you go up and, and just keep winding around, and in front of me, either right in front of me or two in front of me, I can't remember, is a, is a family with a five or six year old special needs child and man, they are having a time of it. And it's a long line and, this, and my heart is just breaking for, for these, this mom and dad who are just working to death. They are tag teaming trying to keep this poor kid happy and keep moving and, and he's tired and in a bad mood and, 
and behind me, and, and hang on, this is going to sound racist, but it's not racist, hang, just wait till the end, but it sounds a little racist. The guy behind me, I'm, I'm positive, almost positive, is, is Chinese, right? And he's got his family there, and he, he's very well-dressed. He just, you have this idea, he's a Chinese businessman, doesn't seem to speak any English. They're speaking um, Chinese, and so there, there's our setup, and, and it's a long line, so I'm, I'm walking, and we all know how this works, and, and I notice my shoe is untied, and so I, I, I stop to, to tie my shoe, and as I do, the man behind me sees that as an opportunity to, to gain a little bit of, of time, and he passes me, and so and I've told you already my mood, all right? So I'm not saying this is what Jesus would do. I'm just telling you what I'm doing. And, and like, and I don't know, like, I am now infuriated. It's not going to, I'm not going to get to Denver any, any later. I, why do I care? If he, he, but I am infuriated. I am infuriated. That because I stopped to tie my shoe, he gets in front of me. And so... Now we're, we're walking, and we, we come to the curve. That's right. You NASCAR people know what's coming. So he takes, and here's my poor family that I am, I, you know, and I'm a caretaking kind of person, and I'm trying to help, and, I lo you know, and I'm loving on them, and I'm hurting for them, my little family. And he takes the inside corner when they take the outside corner. And now he's really gotten ahead. Oh, but it gets better. Because now he's gotten the inside corner, he's jumped in front of me, he's jumped in front of them, and now he stops like this and waves his family up. And so I'm here, and I, I can't explain it. I'm not defending it. I'm not suggesting you do this. And I honestly don't remember thinking about it. But I, you know, I sensed somebody right there, and I went, doing. <laughs> like, and I, I stuck my arm out. Excuse me, but it was, hell no. <laughs> you are not. And I'm looking around, and back to the approval part, I'm getting approval all over the place. Everybody, yeah, thumbs up. I'm on the right team now. I'm sending love to that family. I got you. I'm protecting you. Let's break this down a little bit. Um, What happened was this idea that they were breaking the rules. We all know the rules. I, I, I thought we had all agreed on the rules. And they have the audacity to break the rules? I told you this wasn't, at the end, racist. Because actually, where are those rules? And is it possible 
as people have processed this with me later, is it possible that in this person's world, that isn't a rule? Somebody explained to me that there are places where this idea of lining up in straight queues, marching lockstep, is a very Western idea. Parts of the world, that's just not what you do. It doesn't mean you're a bad person. He didn't have horns on his head. I, you know, I, I, I didn't detect the, you know, the scent of demon on him or anything. It was, it was, he was just doing what he does. But it infuriated me. Jesus' most famous story has something similar. We call it the story of the prodigal son. That's really an unfortunate title. Because the story isn't about just one kid, the one that gets the most press, the one who ran away and all that. And it, it's a marvelous story. But it's really the story of two prodigal kids, both equally distant from God, but for very different reasons. But it's the older one in Luke 15 that reminds me of me and this obsession with rules. The older brother, this is in that story, and I'm sorry if you're not familiar with it, but it's Luke 15, and I'm just going to have to pick it up here. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out, and he begged him, but he replied, and just translate it this way, I kept the rules. All these years, I have slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing that you told me to do. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. And yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fatted calf. I kept the rules. I did everything I was supposed to do. And you make somebody else happy? I, I know my own struggle with my own bad gospel is how mad I get at God. When I see people who are not doing it right and he blesses them. When I see people not working as hard as I'm working and their life is going great. And I thought the rule was that if I did it all right, my life would be easier and better. And you would say, but where is that rule written? People with a bad gospel, I'm telling you, they become obsessed with this idea. You've just got to hear this story back in Galatians. This is back to that circumcision thing. And, and it says, so that question about who could kind of be in relationship with God and about circumcision and all that, even that question came up only because of some so-called Christians there, false ones really, who were secretly brought in 
And they sneaked in to spy on us and take away the freedom we have in Christ Jesus. They wanted to enslave us and follow us to force their Jewish regulations. But we refused to give in to them, even for a single moment. And, and so, do, do, so they, they brought in these secret spies. And you know what their job was? To find out who's been circumcised. You've got to be like almost psycho rule crazy to want that job. <laughs> like how obsessed do you have to be? I'll do it. I'll go find out. I don't even want to think about how they found out. <laughs> what their plan was. I don't even think they had a plan. They didn't care. But if there's somebody there who isn't circumcised and they seem to be enjoying Jesus, Ooh, that's not good. That's crazy. But no less crazy than the rules I want to keep. I got my own set of how it's supposed to work. And it traps me. And it's a bad gospel. In a real simplistic way, I suppose. I think the gospel is Jesus is enough. Paul writes it this way. We know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ. Not by obeying the law, not by keeping rules, not by trying harder, not by comparing themselves to others. And we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we may be made right with God because of our faith in Christ. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Stand firm. Don't let anybody ever take that away from you. Let me pray for us. Oh Lord, I am, I struggle with believing the good news. I know I do. Help me believe. Oh Lord, I, I want to believe what is true, that, that I am a favored son. I want that for my friends here. Lord, we, we want to we be free. And some of us feel stuck. So help us. Set us free with the gospel. 